You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Hopefully before you sat down, you could see there was something on your chair there if you're joining us in person. There's a sticker there. We've been going through a series called Fight Well in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the armor of God. I'd like to just start our service by reading this, and uh, we actually set out as a church to memorize uh, this, and you've had, we've had, not just you, but me as well, we've had five or six weeks to do this, so hopefully some of us can even do this uh, with our eyes closed by this point, but I will be reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and then when we get to verse 14, would you please stand with me for reading God's word? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the, against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Would you stand with me? Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. You may be seated. It continues, as it says, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. We, uh, we've been going through a series for the past six weeks focusing on this, on, on fighting well, because there's a real war going on. There's a real battle, a battle of the unseen realm, a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And uh, the reason why I'm really excited about being able to speak in, in, on the breastplate of righteousness, which is where we're focusing today, the breastplate of righteousness. Last week, we got into the belt of truth, and now we're at the breastplate of righteousness. And, and I'm excited to preach on this. I'm excited to, to get into this, because as we see throughout Scripture, Satan has always tried to defeat God in the realm of righteousness trying to accuse God of not even being righteous, but also he has tried to prove that God's people, those who are made in his image, are irredeemable. In the garden, through temptation to Adam and Eve, with, with Job and with even Jesus and the temptations, each attempt, Satan has continually tried to prove that God is not good and that his people made in his image are forever lost. So today we war, we, war, uh, we wage war on sin, on, on false accusations. We wage war and we invite people to put on the righteousness of God. That's what it means to wear the breastplate of righteousness is to put on the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness. Our righteousness is, is au naturel. <laughs> to wear the breastplate is to put on God's righteousness. Okay, so are we ready? Let's suit up then. 
Yes, let's get into this. The first thing we're going to see is that we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's what it says in verse 14. We have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It must be worn. And we're going to talk about two reasons why this breastplate must be worn. And the first one is this. You're not in God's army if you're not wearing the breastplate. You're not in his army if you're not wearing the breastplate. To put on the breastplate is to identify with Christ, to trust in his protection, to trust in his righteousness. Just like a Roman soldier, they would have been known for wearing the breastplate because it looked Roman. It had insignias of Rome. And in order for you to be known as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus today, you must be able to put on the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. I actually uh, was able to get in contact with somebody who's with the police forces, and they were let me borrow this. Um, just so you know, this is just an exterior carrier. There is nothing for you to test today on me, okay? Um, don't put this to the test, please. This is just an exterior carrier. There's no Kevlar in here, because that's actually a, apparently illegal for me to wear that. So, um, But this is what we must do. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because the breastplate is meant to protect the vital organs. It's meant to protect the lungs and the heart. That's what's in here, the, the, the stuff that keeps us alive. Wearing it is a matter of life or death. If you don't wear it, it's a matter of life or death, and most likely death if you're not wearing it. It's a metaphor for protecting and saving our life by putting our trust in Jesus. This is about putting our trust in Jesus to save our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? That's what it means. To, to be a Christian is to trust in Jesus Christ's righteousness to believe that he died for our sin and conquered a death that we couldn't so that we could have eternal life. Would you look with me at Galatians 3.13 if you have your Bibles with you? If you don't have a Bible this morning, feel free to stick your hand up. An, uh, an usher would love to get you a Bible if you don't have one. Even if you're joining us online, if you don't have a physical Bible, fill out a connection card and let us know. We would want to get one in your hands. But let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. This is what it says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This, this last song we just sang, Jesus Messiah, blessed redeemer. He is the redeemer. He redeemed us. To redeem something is to have it paid for, to redeem it for a value. All right, We were redeemed. That's what that means. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law. Curse of the law is not necessarily a way that we always say it. We see this in scripture. But what that means is what happens to the person who breaks God's law. What happens to the person who breaks God's law? What happens to the person who sins against God? What is their due curse, their due punishment, their due discipline? And as we look in scripture, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So Jesus Christ, it says, he became a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is death by becoming a curse for us, by, by having to die himself. He became and endured our curse for us so that we could wear his righteousness, so that we could be protected, so that we could be guarded. To put on the righteousness of, to put on the breastplate of righteousness is to believe that you and I and all of our wrongdoing, our sins and our evil are redeemed by Christ becoming a curse for us. He takes the punishment. He takes the curse for us. Another great passage, which we actually read this morning, was from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go there with me if you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 said th says it this way. For our sake he made him to be sin 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That first verse of Jesus Messiah says this. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness, right? That's what this is, is straight out of this passage. Let's, let's walk through this slowly. For whose sake? For our sake. For our sake, he made him, him being Jesus Christ, he made him to be sin. What is sin? Sin is a condemned evil against the Lord. For our sake, he became sin. And he knew no sin. Jesus Christ was sinless and perfect, righteous and holy. Yet he became sin. For what reason? So that in him, in him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. In exchange, this passage has been called the great exchange because in exchange for Christ becoming our sin, we get to wear his righteousness. That's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to become the righteousness of God in exchange for Christ becoming our sin and enduring our death. This is why the breastplate must be worn. We must respond to this gospel, this message of Jesus Christ, because this is where we find salvation in his righteousness. We can't pay the price that we are supposed to pay. We can't pay it. We're not good enough on our own. We're not good enough. Our righteousness won't cut it. And even at our best, we are still sinners, sinners undeserving of a holy God, deserving of wrath and judgment, deserving of death. And so why, why do we need to put it on? Here's, here's the short of it. You're not a Christian. You're not in God's family. You're not in the army if you don't put on your faith by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't put on the breastplate of righteousness in his death and in his resurrection to save you from hell, which we deserved. Jesus Christ is the only name by which anyone can be saved. And we're going to get later on to whether or not we're wearing this properly whether it's on properly. But if you haven't put your faith in the historical Jesus this morning, if you're here with us or if you're joining us online, if you haven't put your faith in the historical Jesus, if you haven't trusted your life, your eternal life, in the fact that Christ died for your sin and our sin, do that today. I urge you. I urge you today. Put your faith in him. We have packets for people who are making these first steps, and we have people that long to walk with you. So I urge you to put your faith in him today because without that, you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness and, and you need this breastplate. Not only because we need salvation, but we need it because we're in the middle of an active battlefield going on. Whether you like it or not, we are in the middle of an active battlefield. And you cannot survive this battle bare-chested. You cannot do it. You will lose. That's what it means to trust in our own righteousness. To trust in our own righteousness is to trust in our own natural chest protection. Can you imagine a war and there's an army, and they're all getting ready. They take them through the armory, and they're all lining up to get their swords and their shields and their breastplate and their whatever else, their helmets and all this kind of stuff. And somebody walks through, and they're like, oh, not for me. I'd like to go au naturel, right? They, like, they, they'd be like, all right, you're at the front <laughs> of the battlefield, okay? Because there's no way you would do that. They, they, there's no way you would do that. You would know going into a, a battle like that that you want to be guarded. You want to be protected. You'd be like, I'll take two, okay? Um, that's the idea that you would want. But many of us don't realize that we're in an active battlefield. And we're wondering, because Satan is this. Satan is trying to convince the world that if you have a spray tan righteousness, you'll be okay in this battle. Okay? 
He's trying to tell us if we have a spray tan righteousness, you'll be okay. Listen, a spray tan will not hold up against arrows and daggers. They will not hold up. And Satan is trying to convince us that if we look good to everyone else, and I don't literally mean a spray tan. If you get spray tan, okay. But um, <laughs> the pastor told me to get a spray tan. Uh, no. No, but I don't mean literally looking good. I mean that Satan is trying to convince us that if we look good to the rest of the world, and I mean if we, have com- if we are meeting the world's standards of righteousness, if we are good enough according to their approval, then we're okay. But that's not the truth. That's nothing but a lie. This is one of Satan's most recent cunning schemes, is that he's trying to convince the world, he's trying to even convince us as well, that secularism will save you. Secularism. Secularism is this. Secularism is the societal movement away from the sacred. That's what secularism is. The societal movement away from the sacred. It's moving not only away from the belief in the existence of God, secularism is even moving away from the value of believing in God. I'll put it this way. There was once a time when the majority of society or a lot of society thought it was good for people to believe in God. But that time is gone. Right? There was once a time when believing in God and following Jesus meant you could win friends and influence people. People who believe in God and Jesus used to be seen as those with the highest standards of morals and ethics. But that's really not the case anymore because secularism has changed so much. Secularism teaches that it's better to be good according to the world's eyes than God's approval. And that's why when you tell people and why, why when we share with people and we read from scripture and we say, hey, listen, the Bible looks at us according to God's word and we're sinners. And sometimes people hear that and they're baffled. Like, what do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm a sinner? What are you talking about? I, I accept who I am and I accept who other people are. People will say things like this, but don't we hear how socially focused that is? That's not asking whether or not God approves of my life. That, that, that is so focused on whether other people accept you. The truth does, is this. It doesn't matter whether you accept you or others accept you. What matters is what is acceptable to God. Amen? The majority of our society thinks that being good has nothing to do with meeting God's righteous requirements. The majority of our th- society thinks that it's all about addressing social issues in our current world. And sadly, this is, a, this is a losing battle, more and more. Secular morals are being marketed so well and, and often are so well marketed that it makes even believers, and, and having been in youth ministry, makes especially our younger believers think that the secular world has the moral high ground over God's word. And it's not true. It's not true. It's good marketing, but it's not true. He's trying to convince us that the, the ways of God, the ways of God's word are outdated or old-fashioned or ignorant or irrelevant, and they are not. I, I, I joke sometimes. I, I think I will internally implode if I hear one more person say, but it's 2021. <laughs> like, yeah, that means for 2,021 plus years, God's word has proven itself to be true, right, good, and hopeful. You don't have to look far, you don't have to look around too far to find and see the belief that, that secular morals are more loving or more fair or more just, but they aren't. And the second we believe that, we're playing into his hands and we're walking around bare-chested with a spray tan in the middle of an open battlefield. Satan has distracted us 
the world and in even those in his church, he has distracted us from focusing on sacred justice by focusing on social justice. And I don't mean social justice from a left-wing liberal stance. I mean, I mean, on every end of the spectrum, right or left, people have stronger, issue, stronger stances on social issues, the issues of those with those and the approval of others than, than their relationship with God. To trust in secularism, like I said, is like walking around bare-chested with a spray tan in the middle of an open battlefield, and it makes no sense. There is a real unseen battle between the sacred, holy kingdom of God and the deceptive, destructive kingdom of Satan and this world. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to put on Christ's righteousness and his righteousness according to his way as found in his word. We need to put this on because there's a real battle going on. And, uh, but before we get into how to wear it, we need to understand that this, the breastplate of righteousness has a two-sided nature to it. It's got two sides. It covers both the front and the back because we can't all see what's going on behind us. I mean, some of us can. Some of the people in this room actually can see what's going on behind them. I'm going to explain this. There's this miraculous thing when a woman becomes a mother, okay? <laughs> all right? Yes, there's the miracle of birth, and, there, and that's beautiful and wonderful, and then there's the wonderful thing that women can feed their own children from their body, but then there's this other thing that people underestimate. They grow these additional eyes in the back of their head. You can't see them, but they can see you, all right? My mother saw everything, and my, my wife catches everything as well. No, for the rest of us, we can't see what's going on behind us, so we need to be guarded on both sides. Right? And so righteousness, as seen in scripture, is guarding both sides. In fact, the, the Roman soldiers, their armor would have guarded both sides. They would have had these leather straps that they had to tie together to get them together. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. There's two sides to righteousness as we see it in scripture. There's positional righteousness and there's practical righteousness. Positional righteousness and practical righteousness. And there's some other words, theological, that we can go along with this. And we'll, we'll get to those soon. To be righteous positionally means to be in good standing before God. It's a matter of your character. It's a matter of your ledger before God. Uh, That your ledger be in the black or be in the red. And I think financially you want it in the black. Right? Todd gave me a good nod there, so I'm in the right. That's good. Positionally, where do you stand in your position before the Lord? To be positionally righteous, to be for, your, for you to have a righteous position means to be deemed righteous, okay? But to be righteous practically, okay, it means that your behavior and your actions are good. Your uh, behavior and your actions are moral and righteous according to God. So positional, we said, means to be deemed righteous. Practical means what you're doing is righteous, Let's, let's look at the example of God and his righteousness and how it's both positional and practical, okay? God is righteous not only because of his actions, okay? He is righteous because of his holiness. He is righteous because he is sovereign over creation. He is righteous because there is none like him and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character is that he is righteous before all of heaven and earth and everything under the earth. He is the righteous one but also he is righteous in his actions. He is righteous in that he practically lives out that righteousness, whether that be in the beauty and, and, and generosity of creation or his covenant faithfulness with Israel. He is practically living out his righteousness in the person of Jesus Christ coming and dying on a cross for us and resurrecting from the grave 
He is practically righteous. He does his righteous in, in, in actions as well through the Holy Spirit. And so this and so much more proves how righteousness is both practical and positional. And we're going to be unpacking this today. We're going to be asking whether or not we're wearing the breastplate of righteousness both positionally and practically. And we're going to, we're going to look into God's word where we find these. Because we, we, we don't want to make this stuff up. We want to find this in God's word. Last week, we, stopped, we started talking about the belt of truth. We want to ground all this in truth. And so just like the breastplate of a Roman soldier would have been tied together by that belt being cinched up and held on, we want to look into God's word, and we're going to do that. I kind of always laugh. I was thinking about wearing the breastplate properly, and it reminded me of my kids and watching them get themselves dressed sometimes. You offer. You say, listen, let me help you. No! Right? There they are jumping around with two legs and one pant leg and sticking their head through a sleeve. And, and um, I wonder if sometimes we're putting on God's armor in the same kind of way. And so let's, let's wear it right today. Let's put it right. The first thing we see is that um, when the, the armor is worn properly, it guards our heart. The armor, when we're wearing that breastplate properly, it guards our heart. The breastplate was meant, again, to protect the vital organs, the heart, the lungs, Wearing it is a matter of life and death. And this is a matter of positional righteousness. Velcro, yeah. This is positional righteousness. Or another fancy word for this is justification. Maybe you think, I, I, I don't need to know all these big words, Brad, and this probably doesn't matter, and just tell me what makes me feel good and let me go home. I'm tired. <laughs> no, the, the reason we really do need to open this up, I think it's really important for us to start talking about some of these things especially. Um, because we've all heard and thought things like this. Things like, I'm too far gone. Thoughts like, I'm a lost cause. Or how could God love a person like me? I, I've heard many times people say, if I even go to that church, the whole place will burn down. Or maybe in your heart of hearts, you're thinking things like, how could God ever forgive me of the types of things I've done? And, and our hearts fill with these types of aches of guilt and condemnation. And we need to be understanding how to wear the righteousness of God properly, that we would understand how our hearts can be guarded by knowing our position, our, our position before the Lord. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, your position is justified. If you have put your faith in him, your position is justified. You stand justified. And you don't need to believe or think any of those thoughts and accusations of guilt. Those are just the lying arrows of Satan. What do you think he's called? The accuser. He's going to accuse you of things and say you are not, you are not forgiven when God has forgiven you. He's going to tell you that you are, God couldn't love you when God does love you. If you could, if we could soak in and guard our heart from these lies with the beauty of knowing our position before the Lord, knowing and bathing in what it means to be justified, then those arrows have no chance. They have no chance against the armor of Christ's righteousness. Romans 3.23, would you join me there in, your, in God's word? Romans 3.23 is a great way of explaining this. It starts here, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Satan wants you to just stop there and not continue reading. Just wants you to stay there and make you feel guilty that you have, you have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God. And he wants you to close the book and be done. But it continues. 
There's a verse 24, and praise the Lord, there's a verse 24. And this is what it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified. Justified. We are justified by his grace. What it means to be justified is it means this. By God's judgment, you are good. In his courtroom, you're not guilty. On your ledger, you're in the black, not in the red. Black being good, remember. It means you don't have to pay the price of death and damnation because it's been paid for you. And I, I love how this continues. You are justified by his grace. But, and, and then many of us will think, what's that going to cost me? You know, how, how do I get justified? Well, I, I'm here to tell you for a low price of $70, if you call now, you can get two justifieds. All right, you call the number below. I'm just kidding. No, what do we see? It's a gift. We're getting to a season of gifts and giving gifts. Just tell people about the amazing gift of the free gift that you can have. I don't know if this is your first time at church this morning. You have, we have a free gift for you. It's called being justified. <laughs> it's going to be the most amazing gift you'll ever receive. Because being justified by the Lord means that we are in right standing before God in his courtroom because of what Christ did for us. And you can have this today completely free. But how can something be that's so good be so free? Well, it's, it's a free gift for you, but it did come at a cost. And Jesus looked willingly, willingly looked at all of our sin, all of our past sin, all of our present and the sins even that we will commit. And he looked at that and he still chose to go to the cross for you and I. So that you might wear his righteousness in exchange for him wearing your sin and your guilt and our guilt. So when Satan says things like you're too far gone, when he says things like you're a lost cause, how could God love a person like you? When he says things like how could ever anyone like a God forgive you of the types of things you've done, what we say to Satan is this, I'm wearing Christ's righteousness. I am covered and paid for by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your arrows and your lies, Satan, have nothing on me. This is the great news. You're, you're, you're bad you can never be more bad than Jesus is good. You can never have more bad than Jesus has good. This is such good news. I, I, uh, one song says it this, this way. My sin was great. Your love was greater. You can never have such a debt in sin that Jesus is good can't pay off for you. Right? He is more righteous than we are sinful. He is so wonderfully generous in paying for our sin. And you can never go so far that he can't find you or call you back to him. You are not too far gone. I don't know what, what types of lies you've been hearing. Maybe you've heard them every day for the longest time. I want to tell you, you are not too far gone this morning. We need to tell people this. And we need to be careful what, how we teach others, how we teach the gospel, how we teach people about being, sal- being saved and, and things like that. We need to be careful. We're going to talk about how do we advance now in righteousness and behave in response to this. But every time we teach on these things, we must be careful not to teach Jesus plus something else. We need to be careful of that. Every time we teach that there must be something else you have to do, there, all that kind of stuff, what we're doing is we're cutting holes out of that breastplate. We're just offering spots for Satan's arrows to go. If you want to be fully guarded, you must also fully trust in the full forgiveness of your sins and the full worth of Christ's righteousness to cover them. Fully covered. So be guarded and protected in the fact that we are forgiven. Our position, we stand justified by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's 
got our back. He's got your past and your future. I'm going to move this to the back because so many of us, that's really what it is about. It's about what we've done in the past and we're concerned that maybe God doesn't have us covered. But the other thing is, that's only one side. We need to move forward. Right? We need to move forward. And, and this is where we get to our, our third point, that the breastplate of righteousness is meant for battle. It's meant for battle. It's meant for moving forward. It's meant for taking ground. It's meant f- to be worn as a means for waging war on sin. And this is where Christ's righteousness needs to become practical. Okay? This is where it becomes, even another big theological word for that is sanctification. Sanctification is where we're invited to work with and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. We get to be participants in this aspect of our growing in Christ-likeness. Our sanctification, we are becoming more sanctified with time. See, what happens when we are justified is the, the locks are released on our chains. But sometimes we sit there with our chains cozily and we want to stay in them because that's what we've worn for so long. And so we stay as a sin and sin habits. And we don't walk forward away from our chains, leaving them behind us. But sanctification is leaving the sins behind you, leaving those chains behind you. See, what Satan wants to do is he wants to mislead us by saying things like, hey, now that you're justified, you're off the hook. He'll say things like, oh, you know, it's just a little sin indulgence. It's just one more time. You only have just one. These are the lying arrows of Satan as well. Because we are not to just receive our, 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 our justification and sit still and stay in our chains, stay in our sinful habits. No, we need to battle forward against sin. This righteousness is meant for taking ground, taking ground in areas of addiction and hurt and pain. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says it well. Take us there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Paul speaking, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Sorry, just give me a moment here. I lost my spot. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. What does it look like for somebody to walk worthy of the calling? That calling being what we have been called out of darkness into light. I was just thinking about what is, um, imagine, and we've been talking about this debt payment and we've been talking about this redemption. Uh, Imagine this, you know, you have millions and millions of dollars. I'm hoping you're imagining. Uh, You have millions and millions of dollars of debt, okay? Um, Yeah, we don't want that. And let's say it's in credit cards, line of credits, and all this kind of stuff, and and you're going to the bank because, you know, they're going to take your stuff, and and so you go to the bank. Just as you're about to sit down and realize it's over, somebody sits beside you and says, let me pay for that. I'll cover you. How are you going to walk out of that bank? You're going to be whistling. You're going to be dancing. You're going to I'm walking on sunshine. Right? You're going to be like, I am not going back in there. I'm never getting a credit card again. I'm never going to get a line of credit. I don't need a new car. I don't have debt. I'm good. That's how we are to walk when we understand that we've been called out of. Right? When we understand our position, we're to walk away from all the things that got us in that, that, that dangerous spot. 
Another way of putting it is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. To put on the new self. When we understand what Christ has done in light of, uh, on our behalf, we are to put on a new self which has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So that new self is supposed to look like Christ. That's why we say growing in Christ likeness. And listen, I'm not going to pretend it's easy. Growing in righteousness, it's a battle to kill sin. It's a battle to kill sin. It's a battle to hold our tongue. It's a battle to keep our emotions in check. It's a battle, especially because in the stresses of life, in the pressures of marriage and parenting and work, it is hard. Battle places. We should be expecting to go to work and to go uh, up against a hard and difficult challenge. These places, marriage and parenting and work and other places, these are places where we know just traffic, okay? These places are places where we know the worst comes out of us. Some of us in this room, just the words family reunion, make your shoulders touch your ears, you're just so tense about it. And I get it. Becca and I have been kind of joking and laughing video not long ago of a, uh, of a couple and is comparing when they're dating to when they're married, right? And it looks at them when they're dating and, and they're like, oh, sweetheart, I have your dishes. And they're going up like, let me put your dishes away. I love you so much. And put them in the dishwasher. Oh, pardon me. Excuse me. Let me go by, right? And then, then there's the comparison of marriage. Like, you knew I was going to the dishwasher. Why are you in the way? I'm carrying your dishes for you cleaning up after you again, right? The harder you laugh, the guiltier you feel. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, of course, this is, this is this, the reason why we laugh, because it's so true, isn't it? Pressures of these places where we know where there's pressure. We know there's going to be a battle there. And Satan wants us to see things that way. He wants us to see our boss as some ignorant rude slave driver. He wants to convince you that your husband doesn't really love you. He wants to convince you that your children don't respect you. That's what he wants. Because when we think that, we, we go to his schemes. We go to his tactics. What are his tactics? His tactics are quitting. His tactics are backbiting. His tactics are threatening. We know that there's going to be battlefields in these places, these places of pressure and strife, and we're thinking... I know what I'll do. I'll give that person a piece of my mind. We honk the horn and hold it as long as we can. We say, I'm finally going to quit. I'm done with this. I'll just run away. And those are, those are just reactions when we're like, I, I'm going to go and do something to someone or this situation. But there's also other tactics of Satan, which are a lot more passive. Things like cowardice, procrastination, apathy. I'll start stopping tomorrow. Or things like, I'm scared of what might happen if I obey God. And those, I get it. It's hard. It's difficult. We say things like, what's one more? It will cost me. The reality is we're constantly faced with temptations and pressures to give in to sinfulness and to stay in our chains, and we need to be more prepared for this battle. We need to be more prepared for this fight. When we're in the heat of temptation, we need to remember how much we've been forgiven. Our position is justified, but we also need to remember how that forgiveness was earned. Let's go back to that earlier metaphor of somebody coming and paying, paying off our debt, right? 
This is a nice, nice idea, isn't it? Um, so we find out somebody is willing to pay our debt. Well, we have this conversation with them. We say, so how could you afford to do this for me? How could you, like, how, could, how, did you, how are you able to do this? They go, well, actually, it was, it's quite simple. I didn't buy things I couldn't afford. I lived humbly, took the bus, saved, lived generously. I had contentment with what I had. So we have this conversation with someone. Someone gives us the, the keys to how they were able to pay for our debt. And they go, so how are you getting home? You're like, well, I think I'm going to go get myself a new car on some great credit, go get a credit card and go put gas in it, take my whole family on vacation because all my debt's been paid off. We totally ignore how that debt was paid for. The, the work that Christ put in, we see when, when we follow Christ, we're not just following him and saying, pay off my debt and I'll go continue living in the way I was. We go, Jesus, how did you do it? How do I live like you? How do I, how do I live out your righteousness? And we have to walk in the ways of Christ. This is how we are to live. We are to walk in his ways. The ways of Christ forgiving our enemies. The ways of Christ living a life of contentment and generosity. The ways of Christ honoring God's design for marriage and sex for his church. Um, uh, memorizing and meditating on scripture and studying it. Disconnecting from the world to go away and pray. Sharing the gospel with the lost. Clothing the naked. Feeding the hunger, hungry. Giving water to the thirsty. So much more. Making mature disciples. Like, look, I, I get it. We, so many of us, we're struggling because we're in this mess of a life that we've, we've been pouring into for a long period of time, making a mess of our marriages and our homes and our workplaces and our, and our hearts. And I get it, we're in a, a thick mess here, but there's a great passage Roman, uh, in Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, and, and sometimes we're in the middle of a messy life. We just need a straight path, right? Straight path forward. Well, here's what the word of God says about making a straight path in the midst of a messy life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? He will make your paths straight. When we are in the midst of a messy, thick, tough battle, and we've given in and, we, and life is a mess around us, we need to ask ourselves, are we trusting in the Lord in the thick of our addiction, in the thick of the mess of your life, and, and if you're asked, can you get yourself out of this? You might say yes, but in our heart of hearts, we got ourselves into this. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get myself out of this. Not by the ways that got me in. One of the questions sometimes asked of people who are struggling through um, addiction and hardship and tough times is, do you think God is big enough to help you through this? Do you think God is big enough to break your addiction? You're not, but do you believe God is big enough to help you with this? Do you think God is big enough to bring healing in your life? Do you think God, in the sovereign God of creation, is strong enough and powerful enough to help you forgive and survive the pain you're going through? We can't do it on our own strength. That's why we need to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understandings. And in our ways, we need to acknowledge him and do things his way. In all our ways moving forward, will you do those our ways or, or we're, are we going to do things his way? Maybe, maybe if we just went through the path of prayer and humility, the ways that Christ showed us, the righteousness that he earned for us. 
walking and battling sin and strife with Christ's tactics and not Satan's tactics. Maybe if we started to recognize that the spiritual battle going on is going on around us and we need to both be guarded positionally and understand where we stand justified before the Lord, but our path forward has to be the path as demonstrated in Christ. We started this just recognizing that the spiritual realms are battling over whether or not God is righteous, whether or not he can redeem his people. And he invites us to wear his righteousness for salvation, to protect us. And he also invites us to wear his righteousness in order to find a path forward in the midst of a messy life. So we need to stop battling these things in our own strengths. We need to battle this in Christ's strength. This is a matter of life and death and eternity. I'm just going to invite the band up right now. Even in the littlest of things that we're doing, Let's not do this bare-chested. Let's not try this in our own righteousness, in our own ways. We need to expect great things of God, amen? When we seek his righteousness, when we are understood and clothed in the breastplate of righteousness, he becomes our saving God. He, he, becomes, he, is, our just, he is both just and justifier. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is going to be our king who will save us and redeem us and rescue us in the midst of broken marriages, in the midst of lost children, in the midst of hardship, physical and in the soul and emotional. We need to give him the glory. We need to recognize that this is supposed to be worn for battle and to expect the battle to be hard. So let's, let's continue this morning in giving him worship for all that he has done on our behalf and all the ways that he has shown us for moving forward. And let's, let's ask him to say, let's, and I love this song, yet not I, not in my strength, but through Christ in me. Let's, let's, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning. Pray that you would help us to honor your name. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for how that has won us to be justified before you. But also we thank you for how your righteousness set the ways forward as well. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to live a life worthy of the calling to which we've received. Go forth into those battlefields that try to take our hearts and our souls. Let's go into those battlefields recognizing what they really are. Battles for your name. And would you continue to give us the strength? Would you do it, O oh Lord, in and through us? We pray in your name. Amen.